So shout out all our Baghdad listeners. Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm your host, Dean McCourt. Phew! Well, we're glad that's all over. And no, we're not talking about Sunday Night Cinema, Trip to Beauty and the Beast. We're talking International Week, the most mind-numbing Monday drab dull time anyone has ever been forced to endure since Ben Stein's economic lecture. But just like Sloane Peterson, we've managed to escape. Here to talk about football and not Ferris Bueller's day off is Dan Burke. Hello. From One Football. And Nick McKenna-Klein from Deutsche Welle. Bonjour. And the, sh- the shores of southern France. Came back last night. It was lovely. Came back just and with a healthy glow, I might add. I've got a suntan on one side from driving. I've got a, sun, I've got a, sun, <laughs> got a sunburn on my left-hand oh, yeah, side. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> we were just discussing off-air how big we are in Baghdad. And this might come as a surprise to you, but people in Baghdad and Iraq are listening to this podcast. So shout out all our Baghdad listeners. Greetings from Berlin to Baghdad. (laughs) Yeah. But we don't want to talk about Baghdad. We want to talk about England. Well, we we kind of want to talk about England. Two matches, one defeat, one win for Gareth Southgate. What do you think he's learned from it, Dan? You're the English man, you're getting put on the spot here. Yeah, yeah. well I feel like I should preface this by saying that I am an English man, but I'm not really an England fan. That's It's because you're northern, right? Well, that's part of it, yeah. There are many reasons for it, many reasons. Um, This is always odd to me, sorry sorry to interrupt you, but everybody in Ireland, and I think it's sort of similar in Germany, everybody in Ireland gets behind the national team. Mm. That's one of those unifying things. But in England, it's really not the case. Yeah, well, I think... There's so much apathy there. Like you said, I think the fact that I'm Northern has something to do with it. It's always seemed a bit of a Southern thing, the England national team to me. Um, Growing up as a Manchester City fan, it felt like watching Manchester United playing in white, often as a kid as well, because there were just so (laughs) many players in that team that I just couldn't really get behind. I don't know, there's something about sort of nationalistic about it as well. It's all a bit Brexit, I don't really... Yeah, you probably think Brexit is a terrible idea too, eh? I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. remarkably, yeah. yeah. I'm one of the 48%. Hey, at least you got to vote. <laughs> I've had a British passport since birth and I wasn't allowed to vote, and that still pisses me off. Oh, you could off. have swung the balance. Who knows? Have, you could have been, been that. that <laughs> anyway, getting back to the, the national <laughs> team, what do you reckon, Gareth Southgate, happy, unhappy with it all? Yeah, I think he'd probably be reasonably happy. I mean, I, I was going to say that for, for someone who's not really an England fan, I am feeling reasonably enthusiastic about England at the moment. I think it feels a, a bit like it's it's sort of year zero with England now. I think the press in, in, in England and, and the, the general public have realised that we're absolutely miles away from winning a World Cup. <laughs> so it's everyone just seems to have a little bit more patience with things nowadays. There's um, a new guy in charge who has kind of got the job on a technicality really, but he's but there he is. And um, it, it sort of feels with Gareth Southgate a bit like, you know when you were at school and you get a supply teacher yeah. and you think like, this guy's an idiot, like he's going to his life's going to be made hell and then suddenly he sort of sits down and starts talking about cars with you and you think oh he's actually alright this fella let's let's give him a bit of time a day and you actually end up getting on really well with him that's how it feels with Gareth Southgate at the moment everyone's just kind of um, looking forward to seeing what he can bring he's brought this new system in, in this new uh, 3-4-3 formation which is uh, for English football quite progressive I think they've got some good young players coming through people like Deli Ali, Marcus Rashford John Stones players who were playing at uh, good clubs in England under under good managers and again with, with quite progressive ideas that they can hopefully bring to the national team so I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how it goes actually Yeah, wow. it's, a, it's a world away from the way I felt when they appointed Sam Allardyce 
I feel like that was a real backward step for England and I, and I was very happy when he got the boot. Okay, poor Sam. <laughs> Actually, I genuinely felt sorry for him. We've, we've talked about that loads. There's also Michael Keane. Yes, true. Yeah, he's another another youngster who uh, Manchester United perhaps will uh, will will live to regret letting go. Um, he's had a really good season at Burnley. Um, Looks fairly competent at international yeah, level as yeah, well. Yeah, very much so. Um, perhaps uh, Ireland will regret uh, letting him go in the long run as well. Or, oh, was he an Irish? Yeah, I think he played I, uh, youth football for Ireland um, before declaring for England. Um, I think his dad is Irish, possibly. Um, but he was born in England, something like that. Anyway, D- yeah. don't worry, we've got John O'Shea. We're we're all, <laughs> we're, we're all good. Um, a quick word about Jermaine Defoe, yeah. ageless Jermaine Defoe, who's obviously made a deal at the crossroads. Mm. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. We were saying this the other day. We we're looking at pictures of him, and he doesn't. He hasn't aged a bit in in like fifteen great. years. It's it's very odd. It's like Pharrell. Pharrell mm. hasn't aged in about fifty years. Have you noticed this? Yeah, yeah. he just doesn't change. Like uh, Javier Zanetti. That's another one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totti as well was one we were looking at yesterday, wasn't oh, it? Oh, he looks great. Yeah, uh, but yeah, Defoe. I mean, it's um, it's. I feel happy for him that he's 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 still going. He, when he made that move to Toronto a couple of years ago, you probably thought that's it for his career now. But he's still scoring semi regularly in the Premier League. God, I forgot he went to Toronto. God, yeah, that was odd. Yeah, sorry. Well, it was that great picture of him when he got that um, personalised jar of ambrosia custard delivered to him as well. <laughs> not really yeah yeah have you never seen that no before? i've never seen yeah, that yeah. No. look it up when you get home yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's quite funny um yeah and he you know he scored a, a decent goal um at the weekend he was he's sort of johnny on the spot um created by raheem sterling and um why why can't he play at a world cup he's he seems to have plenty left in his legs um why not and looks and, after himself yeah absolutely yep i did have something to say there England have now gone 34 matches since they experienced defeat in a qualifying match. Except for both tournaments, World Cup and European, and Euros. I think it's just... It's all qualifying matches. All qualifying matches, yeah. Ah, yes, I remember what I wanted to say before that uh, pointless stat. Southgate dropped Rooney, Mm. and he seems to have handled that really well. Who, Southgate? Yeah. Yeah. um, There was no fuss. I, I don't know whether that's because of Rooney not playing or not being very good when he plays, but he seemed to have handled that and the whole captaincy thing, which is all malarkey anyway, it doesn't really matter. But he seems to have handled that really well. I, yeah. I'm genuinely impressed by Southgate. Yeah, me too. I mean, I was particularly impressed with what he said last week about the Premier League not being the centre of the universe and more English players need to get out to other parts of Europe and, yeah. and the rest of the world. I couldn't and agree more. Experience different football. And yeah, I've been thinking that for such a long time. It's great to hear the manager of the national team actually say that. And and uh, and with Rooney, like you say, it's... Um, He's clearly not somebody who, uh, you know, is is scared of uh, dropping a big name player like that. The captain, no less, of of the the nation. Um, you know, Rooney's form hasn't been great at all for the past couple of years now, and it's it's good to see someone make that decision. I think you took his advice as well a bit, didn't you? Kind of got out of got out of little old England. Exactly. Yeah. Came yeah. here to Berlin. Yeah, and I'm currently avoiding all the uh, the Brexit talk because, of course. Article 50 has now been triggered. Sky Sky News have a kind of transfer deadline ticker for it today. Mm. The final countdown. 720 days, 14 hours. It's it's so embarrassing. Really embarrassing. Ridiculous. Anyway, that's enough enough England and Brexit talk. Uh, As for Germany, Nick, um, has the campaign to bring Lukas Podolski out of retirement started yet? Not yet, but I, th- I think he was. I think, well, put it this way: they wanted him to retire even earlier than this last game last week against England. They wanted him to retire at the same time as Schweinsteiger, but he got injured. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm not a big fan of this whole 
a retirement, I'm retiring, that this is my last game type thing and making a huge hoo-ha out of it. I just think if you're going to end a career, you end a career. But last week was quite cool for Podolski, especially scoring that Jeez, thunderbolt of a goal. Nick over there, eh? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, no, I thought it was a lovely... Okay, we, it was. We recorded the podcast last week before the game, but I thought I went and watched it that night. I thought it was a lovely occasion for him. It, it was, it was. But I mean, there's just, it, it, soon, every single player is going to expect to have some sort of send-off. Oh, well, not every player is Lucas Podolski. Not every player is Lucas Podolski. But Schweinsteiger has his, had his last year in Gladbach, mm-hmm. and that was I mean that game was a bit boring, but... I, I think he deserves it. He's done. He did fantastically well for Germany. He he was part of this whole. He was part of this whole this team which changed the way Germany played. I mean, Germany were all for the Euro two thousand. Then they were, then they made it to the World Cup final in two thousand two, and then they knocked out. They were knocked out in the group stage against England. Mm. Was it England? No, it wasn't. England was two thousand. But in the group stage of two thousand four, I think drawing even against Latvia, um, and that's when the, when Germany changed how football is set up and. Granted, Podolski and Schweinsteiger were at that tournament, but they were the the leaders. They were the two players who took the team to the to the World Cup two years later. They weren't captains yet, or Schweinsteiger wasn't captain yet, but they still were leaders within the team. They were young leaders, and this whole change with how the the even even through these two players, the German German politics was changed like, to get international players in. So you were saying beforehand that the English players should play abroad. What the what German politicians decided to do was they changed the rules of citizenship. Mm-hmm. So a player like Özil, 10, 15 years ago, wouldn't have been able to play for Germany because he didn't have German citizenship. So this whole Podolski, Anschweinsteiger, and all these players—they were part of this whole change which which Germany went through. And that's mm. we, we did mention a bit about this last week. Yeah. Actually, how, how important that yeah. was. And it was really, about Nicholas Sula the other day, by the way. No, I missed. Apparently, this. the Turkish FA rang him and said, "Do you want to play for Turkey?" And he was like, "I'm not Turkish." And they were like, "Oh, sorry, you." Got a Turkish talented name. Just put the phone down. <laughs> really? <laughs> what? <laughs> really? Yeah, that's great. Well, is that because the umlaut over the U just exactly, looks, yeah, looks similar? Yeah. <laughs> well, wow. Worked with uh, could have worked with us. But uh, Podolski is—he's. He, I mean, he, in the end, he really did deserve it. And I, I did not think that he was going to score a goal. I didn't. I think it was just going to be some, you know, running around for for eighty minutes mm-hmm. and then do a lap oh, and, and him, what a belter it was. What a goal it was. Yeah. What a perfect send off in the end. Lovely. Grumpy as I am. Bringing it, <laughs> bringing it back to the present. What do you think Lowe would have learned from the last two games, or would he have learned anything at all? Well, what Lowe likes to do is uh, for friendlies, he likes to send out relatively young teams to test new things. I mean, against England, there was only three World Cup winners in that lineup, and one of them was Podolski, who up until last week wasn't a start. He wasn't ever starting games. Um, so he likes to bring out young players. He had he gave Sané a chance, which he you know he did really really well last week against England. Considering that Germany weren't exactly quite that strong, England were the better team I found last week. Um, but probably against Azerbaijan, when he brought back a lot of the World Cup winners, so he brought back the Mullers, he brought back he had uh, Schürrle starting. He had seven World Cup winners in that in that squad, and you could see the difference. But he would have learned that he's got a lot of young players who will be joining the squads the next for the next couple of games they might not play but they'll learn from the established players which are, who are already there and that's what that's what I think is important for him just to to know where these young guys stand and I think it's a similar thing to with, with Southgate as well that uh, Lovis has no problem with leaving out a player who's, who's got a name so he wouldn't he, he also wouldn't have a problem leaving out a Rooney if, if, if there was such a thing in Germany it's almost um, dynasty building yeah and but, I mean Lovis been there for 10 years now he wow. took over 2000 Six after yeah. the World Cup 2006. That's when that's when Klinsmann left, and that helps as well. They've had they've had a good coach there for ten years who kept who's and the structures changed occasionally. And there's been um, new assistant coaches and stuff, but essentially it's the same group of people. They know what they want. They know how they want to develop. And they've been since then since 2004 essentially. 
they've been setting up the system with with a whole lot of youth young players who then as you say formed a dynasty and well done Andre Shirley eh? two that, goals yeah. one assist he likes playing under love he does way more than he likes playing under Tuchel is what yeah, I would say a, yeah well that's just Dortmund. We'll get to that later. Well, we will. We'll come back to that later. I think that's probably enough international talk for now, um, which means we can say goodbye to international football and hello to club football. And this weekend gets us back with some games that should be absolute belters. We've got Schalke v Dortmund, which we're going to talk about with Nick in a few minutes. We've also got Arsenal v Manchester City. And this is without even mentioning the Merseyside derby. So apologies to that, uh Liverpool fans. Uh, Dan, let's start off with your side, Manchester City. Mm-hmm. Uh, you must be pretty excited about this one. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've got a, a stat that we've been talking about in the office all week, um, that City have only won once away at Arsenal since 1975. Uh, in the I'm league. still astounded by this. Yeah, uh, That came a couple of seasons ago, two or three years ago. Um, they beat Arsenal in January 2013, I believe it was. So it's all traditionally been a really tough away game for City. Um from hybrids to the Emirates, it's even, you know, since the money came in and we've started winning things, we always seem to struggle when we go there. But it feels like for the first time in a long time that we're going into this game as favourites. And I feel like Arsenal will perhaps aren't the, are the sort of team that City will enjoy playing against and, and have a bit of joy against and they're not going to um, shut City down in the way that, you know, going to, to somewhere like... Uh, or, or, or the way they played against Stoke the other week, for example, mm-hmm. when, when Stoke made their lives re- very difficult, you think it would sort of play into City's hands. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be a good game. Um, Arsenal have obviously got a, a lot of work to do um, to get themselves in the top four, if, if that's going to happen. Um, they were they were really, really poor before the international break when they lost to West Brom. So it's going to be um, interesting to see how they come out, whether they're going to sort of get behind Wenger for this last last running, or whether that is just they're in, they're just in free fall now and they're going to end up finishing eighth or something. It's it's very difficult to say, but you kind of think big games like this are when are when players rise to the occasion. So I'm going to go for the free fall option. Yeah, yeah. But I did have a more interesting question for you. Uh, you're talking about yeah, City being you know. Arsenal being the type of team that City might enjoy playing has it come to the point where as a City fan you're not really scared of facing Arsenal you don't sort of worry about that fixture or is that or did that happen a long time ago yeah I think that happened a long time ago really I mean there oh, okay. are very few games that I go into now thinking we've got absolutely no hope obviously depending on form and stuff like that that, that changes a little bit but only when playing Monaco right <laughs> of course <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah, I mean, defensively, we're not the strongest team in the league by any stretch, so Arsenal have got plenty of players there who can cause you problems, so it, it's obviously not an easy game, but you just kind of look at it the way things are at the moment. I feel like City um, performed really well against Liverpool in the last game, uh, obviously only ended up with a draw, but it was um, it was a very good performance, an encouraging performance, and if they can match that in this game, I don't see why they won't win. Well, I want to ask you how Pep's going to set up because looking back at the um, the game in December with City 1-2-1, Pep played without a striker but had the, the two players out wide and then sort of two uh, tens mm-hmm. uh, playing up front. Uh, would you expect more of the same? Um, well, Aguero was suspended for that game. So oh, that's uh, true. I would yeah. imagine, um, assuming uh, he doesn't come back from Argentina carrying a knock or anything like that, that he'll start um, this game. and then Or too uh, tired from the Bolivian the thin the air altitude, to the top of Bolivia, yeah, yeah. yeah. He got dropped by Argentina, actually. He wasn't, Higuain Indeed. was unavailable for that game and Aguero was on the bench. And his stock is that low in Argentina at the moment that he's just not even considered to start in a game like that, which is wow. kind of strange. And obviously he's not had the best season at City, although mm. he, had, he still had a pretty good season, I think. Um, 
so yeah, I'd, I'd expect him to, to start up front, um, and I'd expect Sterling and Sane to be the wingers. Sterling's fit, been, is he? Yeah, he is. They've confirmed today that he's available, yeah. Um, he got a uh, back injury while playing for England, but he's okay. Um, David Silva's in wonderful form at the moment, so he'll play. Um, it's kind of interesting to see whether he'll go with Yaya Torre or Fernandinho as the kind of holding midfielder, because... Both of them have kind of been in and out of the team recently. I don't think Fernandinho's form's been amazing of late, but I don't think y- uh, Yaya Torre is someone who's completely convinced Guardiola in recent weeks. So, yeah, it's going to be pro- probably pretty much the same sort of team that he played against Liverpool last time out, I would have thought. Okay, anything else? Anybody wants to add about Arsenal-Manchester City? Yes, absolutely. You're looking at your notebook there? I am. I've um, got a lot of notes. I've got some interesting stats or this one in particular okay um, hit it by the time the game kicks off on Sunday yes Arsenal will have been behind City in the league for 1,209 days since 2011-12 season <laughs> really yeah not obviously not counting the start of the season when they're automatically top of the league right. but once games have been played they will have been behind City for that whole time Apparently. So money does buy you success. <laughs> yeah, apparently so. Yeah. And also, this, in the last seven Premier League games, there have been 3.86 goals per game in this fixture. So it's going to be fun. Mm. That's what you're you telling hope us. so, yeah. Okay. That's great to know. I find that hard to imagine. I find it hard to imagine that City... And Arsenal uh, could be fun. Well, no, no. That, I can imagine that can be fun, but I still can't believe that City have been ahead of Arsenal for mm. that long. It's good, isn't it? It is. It's, mm. it's just, it just shows, like, you know, when... Because um, I'm a United fan. And I remember the days when City were in the second division. Yeah. And that's, and that's, you're right, and that's, that's just amazing to think that a team like City can be ahead of Arsenal for that space of time. It's just mm. Money can buy you love. Mm. It can. Okay, <laughs> well, let's get a quick prediction. I'll always like a prediction. I'm going to go for 3-1 to City. Nice. Confident. Like it. Why not? Why not? Yeah. Over in Germany, we have that Schalke Dortmund thing. Hmm. Uh, where I want to start with this is have you seen Obermann Yang's hair I have not yet what's he done well it lights up in the dark really yeah he's got it so that well, I shaved I think he's got some stars shaved into it and then when you turn out the lights it boom the stars go boom it's lovely surely that cannot be I good for the good skin on your head <laughs> eventually no that can't be good <laughs> <laughs> there's something that must be very wrong with that <laughs> no uh, but it's arguably the biggest game of the weekend in Europe <coughs> and one of the biggest games of the season now, I've got a question for you about Schalke. Shall mm. I roll with that? Sure, go ahead. Yeah, okay. So Schalke come into the derby having won two matches in a row before the international break. Uh, two wins which have lifted them into the top half of the table for only the third time this season. They're only, only four points off sixth-placed Cologne. Mm-hmm. So they'll be buoyant enough. Mm. What's what's sort of changed it around at Schalke? What's what's going right there? Patience. Because they were terrible at the start. It's patience. Oh, okay. It's patience. I mean, uh, Schalke... I've never heard of that. We've not had, never heard no, of patience. Never heard of that. <clears throat> well, um, it's it, it's a virtue. <laughs> now, patience is they've been they've been patient with the, with the new coach with the new manager. They've given them time to to get the results they need, but and also keep in mind that they're missing. They, the last summer they bought Koke uh, from from Sevilla. He's been out all season with a cruciate uh, ligament injury, and Briel Embolo has been injured since November. He was their top scorer in the in, in the first half of the season, and they've given other players time to. Pick up the pick up the slack and and score the goals which they need to score. Schalke are definitely on the. They're they're going in the right direction and 
this is this season especially is a season where they where they're having to go through a lot of changes, especially as they've changed the manager and the coach last summer. It, it's you know he Heidel Kisner Heidel the new manager needs to um, kind of input imp, imprint his own his own ideas onto the club, and this is a club which has spent the last five ten years underachieving for what they actually want to have every season. So they they, they always want to be in the Champions League, which they've done quite often, um, getting even quite far when they they've made it to the semi-finals in Manuel Neuer's last season. Against against United, but they're never quite up there winning the title. And now, last season, they finally decided that they want to try and build up a dynasty, try and build up a, a new, take the club into a new direction, get rid of these older managers they've been having. Granted, last year they, they did have Andre Breitenreiter, who was relatively young. But before that, you had your your Hoop Stevens and, and things like that, who mm. just just a little bit older, the, the, the different kind of manager. And now they've they smell a bit coach. musty. Exactly. And mm. now now Sharks definitely they've. They bring in young players, they bring in young coaches, and this season is just all about change. And the fact that they start the season with four defeats in a row and they're bottom of the table for ages, um, and that they're in the top half of the table now and only four points away from the Europa League, but only 12 from the Champions League. They could, in theory, if somebody else goes into free fall, they could make the Champions League in this form, and that's quite amazing. And they have the best left-back in the league. They do. Said Kolasinic, if I pronounce that right. Said Kolasinac. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Bosnian. But only because I have to say his name every single week and I've asked him what the Bosnian pronunciation is. He's a belter of a player. He is. He's absolutely amazing. They've actually they've, they've, they've invested in good players. I mean, uh, Nabe Benteleb has moved to, to fit, well, he officially moved at the end of the season. He's on loan at the moment, but he's, I think he's cost them 20 million euros. He's been fantastic as well for Schalke. So they're definitely in, they're going the right direction and they're investing in the right players. Yeah. Do we want to talk about Dortmund now? Or is there anything else you want to add about Schalke? I think the, the, the only thing which you can say about Schalke is that, the, well, and going across the Dortmund is that, they're fi- that both clubs are going through changes this season, and Schalke are just finding it harder to, to implement, trying to, to trying to deal with the changes. Dortmund, considering they lost three really important players in the last summer, um, and Hummels, Gundogan, and Mkhitaryan, the, this this season was going to was bound to be a season of change as well, especially with all the <coughs> all the young players they've they've bought. They've done reasonably well considering they're still third. I mean, they they were never going to be. Uh, you know, fighting for the title along with Bayern um, and considering that how well Leipzig are doing I mean, Dortmund are safe in third they'll probably finish second actually this is the way I see them by the end of the season Leipzig are sort of slowing down at the They're moment slow, well since they lost their first game against Bayern shortly before Christmas they've lost I think five in the meantime six um, even losing against Werder Bremen uh, which is hey, no distant Werder well you know, you know, Werder Bremen. I told you this a couple weeks ago. Werder Bremen's my team, but still, Werder Bremen's in the bottom half of the table. They haven't done anything in the Bundesliga for a very long time, and to beat Leipzig, nobody expected that. Uh, I mean, if Leipzig loses against Dortmund or loses against Bayern or somebody at the top of the table, fine. But Bremen's not a top of the table team, and losing to them is kind of but, embarrassing. But mm-hmm. Dortmund haven't been playing well recently. I think we were both at the game against Hertha. Mm-hmm. Which they were, I thought they were very poor. Oh yeah, throughout the team, and then they sort of stumbled across the line against uh, Ingolstadt last time out. They're not in good form. The, you're right. Uh, I mean, Berlin's difficult anyway because Berlin's actually the best team at home in the Bundesliga. They've only that's true. They've yeah. drawn one game, and uh, that was against Bayern. They've lost one, which surprisingly enough was also against Werder Bremen. Maybe I shouldn't have been dissing Werder after <laughs> yeah, all. Yeah, How about that? Um, otherwise, they've this lost is every a single game. podcast. I have you know. <laughs> <laughs> they've they've won every single game at home, which is why when before, before the game I spoke to fans uh, for Deutsche Welle, and uh, a lot of them were saying, "Werder are just so strong. We probably won't if we come away from here with Hertha a point. Are so strong, yeah, Hertha are so yeah. strong. If, mm-hmm. if we come away with here from here with a point, we'll be happy." 
and great wow. it didn't happen in the end yeah. and so the women were quite poor that game they were also as you said yourself against Ingolstadt I think there's also certain problems with Thomas Tuchel that's maybe where this is coming from um, and I find it I, I feel sorry for the guy Right. I mean, he, he he followed on from Jurgen Klopp, and everybody wants him to be Jurgen Klopp. Right. In Jurgen Klopp's last season, he finished seventh, just managed to qualify for the Europa League. Um, the club has almost been created in the image of Jurgen Klopp. Now, exactly. The modern day image of the club. And and Tuchel, they, they want him to be Klopp, but he can't. He he's his own he's his own kind of manager or coach. Okay. And considering he came in last season, finished second, he's still he's third this season. He probably finished second again. That's pretty damn good. It's not bad. Um, I want to get a prediction from you, but before that, I have a question for both of you. Let's see if you can answer. One keeper has scored a goal in the Premier League. It was in this derby, the Revere derby. Anyone know who it was? A Premier League keeper scored a goal in this. No, I think it was just a keeper. Oh, okay. So One keeper has scored in the Bundesliga. Yeah, did I say Premier League? Yeah. <laughs> well, he has played in the Premier League. Oh. Um... Jens, Li- Jens Lehmann scored in this Yes. Game. In 1990. Oh, wait a minute. Seven. And then he went and moved to Dortmund the After next season. Via, it was Bayern Milan. Was it Bayern Milan? Might I think, I think Milan. Five, yeah. was, uh, he certainly moved to Dortmund after play, after scoring for Schalke. Yeah. So, a prediction for the match? Uh, it's going to be a two-all draw. Oh, exciting. Mm. Did you want to chime in on this? Predictions? Yeah. Uh, I like predictions. Uh, let's go 1-0 uh, Schalke. Oh. Ooh. Oh. Okay. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Now, in a week that saw international football go with the flow, the Netherlands managed to book the trend by losing to Bulgaria and sacking their manager, Danny Blind. Joining us to have a say on that is Michele Youngsma from Benefoot.net. Michele, I guess the first question is, did Blind deserve to go? Yeah, I don't think that there's any doubt about that. Um, I mean, the biggest argument is, was he even, uh, why was he even allowed to uh, well, be appointed, basically? Because when you look at his managerial record, it's really quite dreadful. He's had a little over a season at Ajax where he uh, said um, uh, the lowest point tally that they've had over the last 15 years. Um, he did win the cup with them, but that was about it. And he was wheeled out because he, he didn't get the best out of that team, basically. And I mean, he's only won three of his nine competitive games uh, as Dutch national manager. And that's just unacceptable. I mean, it's not been like uh, we've been um, Playing against really strong opponents in general, it's, I mean, you can lose to France, but to only win three and those teams uh, that they beat were Kazakhstan, I, um, um, Jesus, Belarus, and Luxembourg. So it's not really a glamorous uh, set of opponents as you've gotten the better of. So, so why did he get the job in the first place then? Especially when there were so many other good candidates, i.e., say Ronald Koeman or somebody like that, that, that were available to to Holland. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, many other good candidates. You name, name Ronald Koeman, name me another one, and I'll I'll, I'll buy you a beer, basically. But, I mean, in the Netherlands, he was the only standout candidate. And we really hoped that he would get the job. He was really, really looking forward to taking that job as well. So it's, it's. I mean, the, the, the main thing is that they felt Ronald Koeman wasn't ready to, to become Dutch national manager in 2014. So they decided they wanted a mentor for uh, for Kuhlman or someone else to come in and basically copy what the Germans did um, a decade or so ago. The only problem was that uh, the Germans actually had fairly capable people in the whole setup. 
whereas the Dutch just went and went out and copied it. And that's not how it works. I mean, yeah, it's way you have to be way more conceptual about this kind of thing. And uh, Danny Blind, the only reason he got the job was because he was willing to sacrifice a couple of years uh, of his career as an assistant. Um, and yeah. I mean, basically, when everything went went wrong with Hiddink, uh, everyone felt that there needed to be someone else out there than Danny Blind. Uh, but he was promised a job, and how you can't be, you break your promises, can you? I mean, we never do that in football anyway, so that's why he got the job. <laughs> is is Blind sacking and the you know the problems with the national team is that indicative of wider problems within Dutch football at the moment, or is this just a sort that's of a localized no, problem? No, absolutely. This is this is way bigger than uh, just the cycling of the manager. I mean, you've seen plenty of teams and uh, that that will just survive even with a mediocre manager for a bit. And there's been nothing like this. And that's basically down to the whole setup not being right. Um, I mean, in general, we've lost the uh, the edge we've had in terms of uh, <clears throat> international football compared to other countries uh, about a decade or so ago, I would say. And we've never been able to regain that. And because we've always been at the forefront of, of of invention within football, we've been really looking inwards all of the time. And even at the moment, people are saying, well, we need to get back to our roots rather than kind of considering that, well, maybe the football that worked in the 70s and 80s and 90s doesn't really work in, um, <clears throat> in an advanced era like this one. And I think that there's there's a lot, there there are a lot of issues with that in general. And it kind of tells you that, uh, a country that's been an overachiever both uh, at club level and at national team level is is at the moment just really just punching under its weight. And even when you consider the size of the country, I mean, 17 million uh, people is is not a lot compared to maybe Germany or England or France. But when you compare it to Portugal, who are still doing well on both of those fronts, or even maybe Czech Republic, who uh, get a get a few teams out there, Belgium is a is an obvious example. I mean, there, there at the moment there are many, te- many teams, uh, many countries of a smaller size that are actually doing way better than we do. So yeah, there has to be, uh, well, quite an overall to make things work. If the KNVB came to you now and said, Michele, we want you to fix one thing, or we want, we, you know, we want your your vision on this, what would you suggest to them? Um, I think I think uh, the main thing is make just just get your players and your managers to to consider what they're doing more than anything. I think um, the I think overall education in general has been quite flat, and you really want people to you want them uh, you want to hand them the tools, and they have to make something out of it rather than them just copying one trick. And I think that that that's the main issue. But it's and that's why it's probably easy to just name but like one really specific thing because. Uh, by trying to just name one specific thing, the Dutch uh, FA have, have lost their their competitive edge a bit. So uh, Blind is gone. Who's who's going to replace him? I noticed today that uh, German TV was reporting that Louis Van Hal is in the frame. That, that can't be right, is it? Oh, it definitely is. <laughs> <He's>, um, <laughs> yeah, he, he seems to be the the favorite, and again, maybe for the wrong reasons because it, he had success, so we need to get him back. Uh, overall, though, I don't think it, it would be an awful appointment. Uh, the players are, are re- would be really happy to get him back. Jorginho and all of them have been quite vocal about this, saying, well, if you ask me, my preferred option is definitely Louis Vichal. I would love to work with him again. He's got a good relationship with most of the players. The one I'm not sure about is probably Memphis Depay, and that is a bit of a tough one because 
he uh, he is still basically the future of the Dutch team. He was he was really the standout player against Italy last night. But yeah, Van Gaal has been mentioned, and it's it's kind of indicative as well of how unpopular uh, the Dutch team at the moment is. That Frank Boer basically said, "Well, I'm ruling myself out. Ronald Koeman prefers to stay at Everton." And with all due respect, I mean the Dutch team job should be bigger than a job at Everton. Um, and it leaves leaves you with a few options in general because, I mean, Dekans Fikas, who's hitting for guys like that, you, you either don't want them in, in the job or they don't want the job anyway. And if they are the, the main other names that spring to mind, it's, it's really quite uh, a depressing <laughs> thing to notice, basically. And the one, I mean, you, you have, I mean, there have been a few other names mentioned. Some people really want Roger Schmidt in because he did a great job at, at Salzburg and did a decent enough job at Leverkusen and kind of embodies the type of football that you that you like to see. Uh, Ralph Rangnick has been mentioned as well uh, as an interesting uh, proposition because he is an admirer of Dutch football and um, <clears throat> he's done a good job as well at several clubs. And uh, yeah, I mean, the idea of a foreign coach at the moment is, is really quite popular, but I'm I'm quite afraid that the Dutch feed won't go there. What a- they seem to have a plan in mind. What about Steve McLaren? He's free and he's had some success in Holland. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think anyone has mentioned him apart from foreign press so far. So that kind of tells you not. No, um, I mean, it's, uh, even if, and I will treat this as a serious question, even though I know it hasn't. Um, his second stint was quite woeful, so I wouldn't expect him to be a, uh, a candidate. But one that is mentioned is actually Jurgen Klinsmann. Uh, and that's basically because 10 years ago it worked for Germany. So maybe we need that. That's that's the kind of uh, thinking process that you see at the moment. It's it's really, really weird. And I think in, in general, that's the whole point with this situation, is that you're happy to see Danny Blind go on one hand, but you're just scared that the successor won't really be the solution to the problem anyway. Has anybody given uh, Matthias de Ligue the hug yet? Uh, I'm not sure. He was um, he was allowed to uh, warm up yesterday for the game. I didn't think he, I don't think he came on, but he didn't look too happy, so I I don't think he's had a hug yet. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's 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 really. I mean, someone suggested on Twitter that uh, he, he's actually really mature. People are saying he's just a kid and he shouldn't be sacrificed in this situation, but he's just taken one for the nation because he knew that Danny Blind would be sacked if he would make those mistakes. Uh, I don't think they were intentional, but it's really sad for the kid that he's become such a well, figure of mock almost um, on the expense of uh, yeah basically yeah on expense of getting that that was Michele Youngsmith from Bennyfoot.net and that is all we have time for today my thanks to Dan Nick Michele and our producer Damien remember wherever you are in the world please go to your local iTunes store please give us a rating and please leave a comment to let us know what you think of the podcast thanks for that and thanks for listening